Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. Hey y'all, welcome back to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. I'm Kathleen Thompson, Progress Texas Executive Director. What was that, Kathleen? That's right. I'm the new Executive Director for Progress Texas. Chris, insert applause and cheers and music here. There you go. <laughs> and I'm Sam Gonzalez, uh, Progress Texas Digital Director, as always. Sam, we have a lot to cover and we have outstanding guests today. But before we start, a reminder that the uniform election day for May elections in Texas is Saturday, May 6th. And if you didn't vote early, you have one more chance. Yes, and on a ballot near you, adding climate change policy to the city charter in El Paso, book bans and anti-discrimination policy in North Texas suburbs are on the ballot as well. Police oversight in Austin, which is what we're going to be talking about on the podcast today, and decriminalization of abortion and low-level marijuana possession, as well as banning no-knock warrants and chokeholds by law enforcement in San Antonio. If you're listening to this, as you should, when it comes out, you still have time to vote. We'll link to our website, GoVoteTexas.org, in the show notes. The Texas Department of Public Safety, commonly known as DPS, is central to our talk today in regard to recent developments in their controversial deployment on patrol in the city of Austin. But since we've convened our great panel of experts earlier this week, DPS is in the news again, following a crackdown on a group of protesters at the Capitol on Wednesday. So we have a lot to talk about and terrific guests for this discussion. Please welcome to the show Austin City Council member Zoe Kadri, the current youngest council member and first ever Muslim member, and Austin criminal defense attorney Rick Kofer. Welcome. Yeah, thank you all for having us. Pleasure to be here. Excellent. Now let's start with you, Rick. So obviously with everything that's going on, a lot of news this week. As a prominent defense attorney in Austin, you interact with law enforcement in the city on a regular basis. And I'd like to start with some basic information. Give us an overview of the Texas DPS. You know, obviously they've been in the news quite a few times this week and even before then, but mainly how they differ from regular municipal or county law enforcement. What should a Texan know when interacting with a Texas state trooper as opposed to say like a city cop or a sheriff? Texas Department of Public Safety is a really interesting law enforcement agency. For one, DPS has statewide jurisdiction. So in all 254 counties in Texas, a DPS trooper can make an arrest. Beyond that, DPS is really big and has lots of different types of subunits with different types of responsibilities. Uh, many of your listeners will be familiar with the Texas Rangers, uh, popularized uh, from a television show, not talking about the baseball team, uh, but th think in your head of Tommy Lee Jones and you've got a good image of what a lot of folks imagine a Texas Ranger to be like. Uh, in my experience, the Rangers are really good cops and really on top of their stuff. Uh, they tend to be more uh, in the investigation side, uh, complex, serious matters. Another significant role for the Department of Public Safety is traffic and highway enforcement. Uh, many of your listeners, uh, and I'm thinking about Kathleen Thompson right now, may have just possibly had an interaction with the DPS trooper on I-35 uh, between the Metroplex and Austin, Texas. If you've been pulled over on a highway, uh, very likely it was a DPS trooper. And most significantly, a third and really important role for DPS is they are the law enforcement agency in charge of the immediate area around the Capitol. 
If you go inside the Capitol Dome, you're dealing with DPS. If you get pulled over on Colorado Street or on 11th Street, right near the Capitol, probably DPS. That may have been more detail than you want, uh, but, but let me speak real briefly and then I'll be quiet to culture. At the work session that council member Padre attended on uh, Tuesday of this week, you heard a great example of that culture from the colonel in charge of DPS, uh, Colonel McCraw. He said, we enforce all the laws. Well, that makes a lot of sense, right? If, if I was talking with, with most folks and said, well, do you think all the laws should be enforced? You go, well, yeah, all the laws should be enforced. You go, well, what about the really dumb ones? They go, well, yeah, what, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, should people go to jail for 180 days if they have a joint? And they go, oh, well, no, no, of course not. Okay, well, so you didn't mean quite all the laws. And McCraw ultimately said the quiet part out loud in that session when he said, we enforce the law the same way in Amarillo as we do in Austin, Texas. And, and to him and the Department of Public Safety, that is a feature, not a bug of their program. But as the council member knows and your listeners know, Austin is unique and different. It is unique and different from Amarillo, uh, from Kerrville uh, or for Bastrop uh, for that matter. And when I'm in uh, the Hill Country, which is where I spend most of my time and most of my practice, I have certain expectations of law enforcement, and those are different than Austin because law enforcement and justice, criminal justice, is very much informed by local values and the wishes of the community. And that's represented by the work of the council member, the directives that have come from the Austin Police Department, resolutions and ordinances passed by council, uh, and voter initiatives. And if you patrol and police Austin, Texas, the same way that you do Amarillo, you are not serving the ends of justice. With the introduction of DPS officers into the street patrols of the Austin Police Department a few months ago, legal experts in Texas, including our state ACLU chapter, were pointing out ethical issues from the beginning. And we'll talk about the stats we've received over the first month in a few minutes. Could you speak to the basics of why this may have been a questionable idea from the get-go? I had my hesita hesitations when I, when I first heard about the partnership. You know, I represent a district that is almost 70% white. Uh, if I'm going to be completely open and transparent, um, we have gotten absolutely no phone calls or emails from constituents uh, that have uh, complained or shown worry about DPS uh, in their neighborhoods. Uh, but a lot of my colleagues on the east side um, and with, with, with communities of, of color being the, the dominant uh, demographic in, in, in their districts, uh, so the, I would say districts one, districts two, districts three, the districts four, so that's council members Harper Madison, uh, council member Fuentes, council member uh, Velasquez, and council member Vela, uh, you are seeing a, a, a spike in uh, calls and, and emails from their constituents talking about their fears and their worries. I mean, you know, I think we can all agree that public safety uh, is, a, is a top priority, uh, but something that I said, uh, not this past work session, the work session before, Austin's the safest big city in, in, in Texas, and we should applaud that, and we should applaud uh, those that have, have kept this city uh, so safe. Uh, and every Austinite has the, uh, the, the right and, and, and should feel safe. Uh, but what my fear was is that we were going to see a level of racial profiling, we were going to see communities of color, black and brown communities, uh, communities uh, that are, uh, you know, immigrant in, in, in nature, uh, 
be targeted. And I think that's what we saw when we saw 90% of, of, of stops and, and arrests being uh, f- folks of color. Uh, so so that, that data kind of confirmed a lot of the fears that a lot of the, the council members had. Uh, and, and I think one thing that we still don't have, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for APD for showing up for to the, the first work session. I'm thankful for them to come into the second work session. Uh, DPS showed up, um, you know, this, this past Tuesday, but, but there, there's still more more questions than answers. And there's still a level of uh, transparency that um, uh, that is lacking, truthfully. Uh, there is um, a lot of questions that we had in terms of uh, numbers and, and stats and, and just kind of, you know, better uh, g- getting down to what is happening. And, you know, one of the questions that I've asked both two weeks ago and this past week was, what does success look like, right? What What is a win, right? And, and that question could not be answered. And I find that truthfully kind of odd, right? When I decided to run for office, right? For me, a win is is winning the election, right? Everyone should know if, if you're at point A, what, you know, what, what is the finish line, right? What is point B or what is point Z or whatever you want to call it? And, and I find it troubling that we can't actually get an answer of what, what is the end goal, right? Uh, what is the win? Uh, so, you know, I'm going to continue to uh, make noise about it, as, as I know many other members will, uh, because I think our, our constituents deserve it. And and for me, being, like I said, in, in a district that doesn't necessarily have as much of the DPS presence, truthfully, I mean, District 9 does have downtown, so we have DPS presence by default, by the Capitol, by the governor's mansion. Uh, but I think it's important for us to um, uplift the voices of other council members and as well as other constituents. Yeah, let me let me piggyback okay. off uh, the council members' comments, uh, and I want to make two points. Um, well, three points. First of all, uh, everything the council member said is very well put. Uh, but Kathleen, to push back on you, uh, it's not DPS patrol and it's not patrol supplement. Uh, Department public safety troopers are not patrolling Austin uh, in the sense that they are not responding to calls for service. Uh, they are not getting assigned calls for service. They're not part of the same 911 system or part of the same computer-aided dispatch. Additionally, DPS is not participating uh, or leading any investigations. Instead, about 99% of the work of DPS in Austin, Texas is just pure traffic enforcement. And I think that's a huge misunderstanding, and, and that misunderstanding has played to the benefit of supporters of this program. Uh, it is not intended to relieve a single APD officer of any current responsibility or duty, or to supplement any existing responsibility or duty. Uh, APD, historically, and especially over the last three, four years, has had a very small traffic enforcement presence. And, and it means just what you think. These folks are driving around, pulling people over largely for ticky-tacky reasons, and I can go into that, uh, and issuing citations and using these basically pretext stops to conduct pretext searches of vehicles. Um, there's a distinction there. The, the only item I would push back on you, council member, is this. Uh, and again, uh, both Colonel McCraw Uh, Chief Chacone and Austin city leadership directly said the quiet part out loud in your meeting Tuesday. Um, You asked uh, Chief Chacone, what's a win? 
And he said that has not been determined. Um, but then um, the, the, the head of the city of Austin City Council responded uh, and said, well, let's leave DPS in place until APD staffing numbers are back to where they need to be. And one of your colleagues asked Chief Chacon a, a really important question. Um, hey, Chief, uh, when do you think we're gonna get back to that? There are over uh, 300 unfilled positions. And much to Chief Chacon's credit, he answered honestly. Uh, he said, it's going to take us years. Well, if you piece together what the mayor said and what Chief Chacon said, I don't think that means that the DPS collaboration remains in place indefinitely, uh, but it would appear uh, for the foreseeable future. If the standard is uh, DPS needs to keep patrolling or doing traffic enforcement until those jobs are filled and it's going to take years to fill it, uh, that's not a plan. And that's something that I, you know, I, I think certain council members have, have taken a, a certain um, have occupied a certain area uh, in this in this conversation, uh, and I think the the place that that I kind of occupy is, is truthfully to push back. Um, that was something that was initially truthfully always my worry. That I, I feel like this is potentially going to be in place until we get the staffing. Well, the police uh, APA is out of out of contract. Well, they're not going to negotiate a contract until this election that is coming up on Saturday takes place, and you know we'll see what happens from there. Uh, so, you know, once there is a contract, how long does it take to get staffing up? Uh, so at the very least, I, I, I figured that that might be the avenue that they were going. They were going to have DPS in place to uh, kind of supplement the lack of police officers. Uh, and, and that's just something that that, that worries me. We've, we saw something happen similar in Dallas a few years back. I, was, I actually had an opportunity to talk to some council members uh, in Dallas, and I think after a month of, of DPS uh, being in, in DFW area, uh, from what I understand from the gentleman I spoke to on the Dallas City Council, they, they did some sort of press conference where it was the city council and uh, I think the district attorney and maybe the county attorney, and they basically were like, we want DPS to leave our city. Um, I, I'm not sure if something had, ha had occurred in Dallas, maybe there was a situation with, with a constituent and a DPS officer. I'm not sure what led to that moment, but I don't want to get to a p situation where we have an Austinite who is harmed or, you know, horrific or potentially killed. And, and, and that is our tipping point. I mean, I, I think enough people have kind of rang the uh, alarm bell and, and people are rightfully uh, concerned. Uh, and I, I think we, what my hope is, is as a council, we continue to hold uh, those that are in charge, um, as in DPS and, and APD folks, their feet to the fire, continue to push for answers. And if, if we continue to see the, uh, the situation that we're seeing and the way that things are kind of trending, you know, I, I think it's important for us to stand up for our constituents. Uh, we didn't get elected to serve any other council member, you know, the, the mayor, the APD, DPS folks, we, we all got elected to serve our constituents. And if our constituents are hurting, if our constituents are worried, we need to stand up for them. And I want to follow up, uh, council member. You had this meeting, as Rick uh, brought up. You know, it was Austin Police Chief uh, Joe Chacon, Austin Mayor Kirk Watson, uh, DPS Director Steve McGraw. 
Was there anything else in that meeting that you want to bring up that was important to the narrative that's going on that people should know about? Obviously, um, you know, that, that's something that y'all were discussing. But is there anything we should all know uh, that yeah. came from that? That maybe a resolution or something that's moving forward that will put people at ease, maybe? Well, I mean, truthfully, I, I'm not I'm not fully satisfied. I mean, the, the meeting left me knowing that we need to continue to have these discussions and continue to push back. And, 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 I, and I think there's a you know, this is just going to be a, a process. I mean, I think the thing that I, I want to continue to stress that I uh, I was able to articulate in more uh, the first meeting uh, is this this narrative that has taken place that Austin is somehow this very dangerous city. Uh, I mean, Austin is is a very safe city. Uh, if we and I don't have the my papers in front of me right now, but uh, if you compare us to a lot of other cities in Texas, uh, whether you know other major cities or even smaller cities. Uh, you know, we are a, a very safe city. We have seen crime decrease, you know, month to month to month to month to month. Um, and for them to kind of pick and choose certain times and say, well, in this time we've saw X amount of crime. So Austin must be dangerous. And now in this very short time since this partnership, we're not seeing anything. You know, it, it's, it's, just, it's just kind of picking and choosing something to fit your narrative. Um, and, you know, I think we can all agree, once again, everyone deserves to live in safety. A decrease in violent crime is really important. Um, but we were never in a situation, uh, this like almost doom and gloom that uh, others would like you to think that you know, we've, we've been in or, or, or are in. Yeah, we don't live in some, you know, Mad Max, Fury Road situation in Austin, <laughs> Texas. Um, yeah. Council member, let me ask you a, a question. This is not a gotcha question. Please don't take it that way. I'm just yeah. truly, genuinely curious. Um, have you ever seen any written agreement between APD or the city of Austin and DPS for this traffic enforcement program? Yeah, I mean, one one truthfully could exist. I truthfully haven't seen it. It, it doesn't mean it, it, it doesn't exist, but uh, I, I truthfully you know, can't speak of a, a physical written agreement. My, my understanding is that doesn't exist. And as important as this issue will become, and in a lot of ways the city is playing with fire, DPS has a culture that is fundamentally different than Austin Police Department. Uh, and if there is a use of force incident that results in serious bodily injury or death, uh, there will be a lot of questions and there will be leaders held accountable but on April 18th at that work session, the city manager related to you uh, and your colleagues, uh, he said that we were presented with an opportunity to partner with DPS. And I suppose I'm curious as the policymaking body for the city of Austin, could you share how the council was included in discussions of this opportunity uh, and your understanding of the partnership uh, before it began? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I'm going to be careful of what I can and can't say, but, you know, I think it was originally presented um, as it's kind of been presented to the uh, to the general public about uh, traffic enforcement. Uh, I think there had been a situation just right before where someone had gotten into some sort of accident. It was like a two hour wait time before, uh, you know, law enforcement had shown up. So initially it was presented as, you know, we need to do better in terms of traffic enforcement uh, and, and, and the whole violent crime, um, you know, situation that's, you know, now the narrative that's been, that's been pushed. No, I, I understand that. But, 
Um, you're uh, the policymaking body for the city of Austin. Um, the city manager said that the city was presented uh, this opportunity. And I think to you know, figure out, uh, to address uh, what was described as the unintended consequences uh, of this program or, or what um, other advocates might describe as you know, blatant uh, racial profiling, um, not unintended consequences, but the whole thing uh, was designed uh, basically around racial profiling to get back to how in the world did this happen in the first place? Because unless I am mistaken, I don't recall any uh, council input or discussion before this program started. Yeah, I mean, it was like it was it was something that was that was presented to us as as a council. Uh, personally, I, I can't speak for any of the other members, and I can't speak for the mayor. But uh, I I wasn't uh, a part of any of the discussions that led to this uh, collaboration. Uh, but I was, you know, presented the collaboration. You know, once I think all the the you know eyes were dotted and, and t's were crossed. I do. I want to go back to how, like Rick is saying, how this all started, but I just want to follow up on something that you said, Councilmember. Um, it was up here in Dallas, Councilmember Adam Basil Dewan. He was our Correct. guest yeah. uh, just a couple weeks ago, and uh, we were talking about local control, and he talked about how this was his first press conference. He said that residents were fearful and felt targeted. Um, it was a majority, vast majority of black and brown uh, residents stopped and he said that he heard from law enforcement officers um, who were city law enforcement officers who were saying please get DPS out of uh, my area here because um, this is interfering with the long-term relationships that that I've had for for years and um, I wonder if you, you've heard anything like that yeah uh, Adam was actually the, the gentleman who I who I spoke with uh, when all this came to be, uh, and I think he kind of everything that you kind of mentioned is is what he uh, is what he mentioned to me. I mean, his you know truthfully, I think his uh, suggestion to me was to talk to as many council members, see what what the appetite it is to do something like like they did in Dallas, and uh, you know I had those conversations with with folks, um, and. I, maybe, I don't think the appetite was necessarily there uh, at, at that time because this was, I think the the moment that I found out about the, the collaboration, I was like, personally, I was like, you know, we need to do something about this. I, I, I don't agree with this. And I want to push back as, as hard and as fast as I can. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, I, I guess we'll see what, what ultimately happens, but I'm not, and, and I have not been, and there's no, there's nothing that's, that's happened in any, ter any terms of discussion uh, that has given me faith in this uh, in this collaboration. So going back to the beginning, um, when APD and DPS, the partnership was announced, it seems like it came directly from Mayor Watson and what appeared to be a unilateral agreement um, struck from him personally with Governor Greg Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, other possibly other Republican state leaders. Rick, you've been very vocal on Twitter with comments about how the decision has been reached Will you say a little bit more about that and um, talk to us about where what your sources are when you're mentioning things on Twitter? Uh, where are you getting uh, the information? Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and I think reading between the lines a little bit, you know, the council member is, is, is basically sharing council was not included in these deliberations. Uh, and, and the reality is that for 
probably nine out of the ten of the city council members, they found out about this at a press conference, uh, just at the same time as, as everyone else. Um, you know, I, I can share what's been told to me, and I guess by way of background, there, there was a time when I was much more active in, in political matters, and uh, by happenstance, a lot of my friends still work in, in these roles, or you know, serve on council, or serve as judges, or prosecutors, and so I just by happenstance know a lot of these folks that, that are in these meetings and are in these conversations. Um, you know, there are some theories, you know, nothing's corroborated. I know that there are a lot of uh, Public Information Act uh, open records requests pending with the city, with the office of the lieutenant governor, the office of the governor, DPS, APD for information on this. Um, so far, the county uh, has, you know, immediately, like within a day or two, released everything that's been asked. So far, the city, the state, APD, they haven't responded to anything. Uh, to the extent that they have, uh, they throw up gigantic numbers, you know, $2,000, $3,000, $5,000 just to get the information. So the, I'm not going to speculate. I'll put it that way. Um, but there, the, the truth will come out of where this program came from, uh, how it was initiated, and the players that decided to impose this on Austin. Uh, and I suspect people will make their own conclusions about the reasons why. I think one issue that's really important to note in that regard, and it's where I applaud the council member and his colleagues uh, for leadership, the police department has not been consistently truthful uh, with the council member or his colleagues. At the April 18th work session, uh, Chief Chacon and the crime analyst uh, sat and, and provided their statements uh, to council. And there was a very a direct question uh, from council. Uh, what neighborhoods is DPS uh, patrolling? And APD Chief Chacon uh, said, you know, couldn't, couldn't tell you, you know, they're all over, don't know, we'd have to ask DPS. Okay, well, kind of weird. Uh, and then this week, the head of this program for DPS uh, said, we go exactly where Chief Chacon tells us, right? Well. Well, either, either Colonel McCraw was lying through his teeth to counsel, uh, or APD leadership was lying through their teeth to counsel on April 18th. And it will become a very important question, especially uh, as the numbers of individuals who have been hit with ice holds and deported uh, from the United States because of this program, as those numbers become public and uh, liberals and progressives understand uh, that the people that are victimized by this program uh, are largely uh, folks that do not have a strong voice. And so they depend on the leadership of people like the council member and uh, council member uh, Velasquez and Vela and Fuentes and Harper Madison. Uh, but to what extent was Chief Chacon not being truthful uh, with council on April 18th? And what did APD leadership know? What did city leadership know when did they know it? And why wouldn't they share it with council or the public? And I want to follow up uh, to you, council member. Did you get a heads up? You know, what was, what was the reaction from you and your colleagues? Mostly, you've said a lot about how your reaction was, your dissatisfaction or satisfaction in varying degrees. Um, what was your colleagues' reaction to this as well? Do you have some like the, you know, not to name any names, but what was kind of the consensus of like, oh man, is this happening? Why didn't we get more information? Or did you have enough to go off of and say, we knew this was coming and we know how to respond yeah. even though we don't agree with it? Yeah, I think the 
the general feel of it was just a lot a lot of questions. Uh, I think there were some members who were who were truthfully okay with it. Uh, I think there were other members that were hesitant, and then there were other members who just were ready to kind of just push back. Um, but everyone w- w- wanted to kind of try to gather as much information and not just make a, a statement or, or an action out of the gate. You know, they wanted to keep their emotions as, as calm as possible. Uh, but, you know, I, I think I might have been the first person to kind of speak out against it. I mean, I, I was I was hesitant from the get go. There was something about it that I, that I felt off. Uh, and there was something about, you know, a, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it to the whole prop A prop B fight, right? I mean that all has to do and is centered around police accountability and oversight, and now you're suddenly having a enforcement agent, a law enforcement agency come that we as a city have no oversight, uh, you know, over, right? I mean they're not, you know, like we don't we don't oversee them, and and I think that to me was a worry, you know, like we're we're trying to get it with it from our own, you know, law enforcement, our own police officers, and and that's why you know the whole contract situation is what it is. And now we have two ballot measures that are going to be, you know, voted on. And if we're, if we're going to go into more of that conversation, more than happy to, but, you know, making, you know, you know, if, you know, whether it's A or it's B, if, did they both pass? Did they both not pass? You know, you know, that, that's all to be determined, but now you're having something come in that we have no uh, oversight control over, right? It's, it's, it's this foreign, um, agency body, you know, in, in my opinion, that's coming into Austin. Uh, so I, I was just afraid. I was afraid for communities, um, truthfully, on the east side, because they're the ones that deal with it, right? Folks that are asked about their, and I think Rick kind of mentioned, you know, folks that are asked about their immigration uh, status. Uh, you know, folks that, you know, I've, I've had people uh, text me whose loved ones live in, in certain parts of town, and they're like, there's five DPS, uh, I don't know, patrol cars in, in the neighborhood at night. I mean, I, I guarantee you, you don't see that in District 9, and I guarantee you, you don't see that in District 10, and I guarantee you, you don't see that in District 7. Um, so it's, 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 very, it's very intentional, and, and I find it hard to believe that it's not. And uh, just speaking of my own experience, I, I, they're in my neighborhood, and I have uh, two uh, friends, African-American friends, that they the first day it happened go, yeah, I see them everywhere. They're everywhere right now, and they're afraid. They got, but they know that any moment they'd be pulled over for, like uh, Rick said earlier, some ticky tacky thing, and it becomes an issue. And there's something that that could happen, you know. And and that and we know that community, minority communities, communities of color, don't always have the best experiences with any law enforcement, let alone anyone held to any different standard, right? Yeah, and I mean, so, you know, I, I'll never know what it means to be black in the city. I'll never know what it means to be Hispanic in the city. I, I only know my own experiences, but. I was talking to some of the other council members who are council members of color, and they all expressed their a, a, a level of fear might not be the right word, but a, a level of am I going to get stopped? Right, right. Because um, uh, I, was, I was talking to one council member, and, and they mentioned how uh, often at, when they're driving home from work, they, they put down their windows and they play their music loud, and you know, they live on the east side of town, and they're mm-hmm. like, I've seen quite a few folks in in my part of uh, of town, and. They're like, I don't know if I'm going to get stopped one day after work. Yeah, it's so weird. My, uh, my fiance is a uh, rich white lady who lives in Old West Austin. She's never been stopped by DPS. It's crazy. <laughs> who'd, have, who'd have thought? And her taillight's been out for three months. No, and no, actually, and what's funny is she drives just the rattiest of ratty trucks, uh, even rattier than mine. 
Um, and we joke, she has a pit bull, uh, and she walks this pit bull in Old Enfield in Pemberton. Uh, and I'm like, you know, if, if she did not look like she looks and instead looked like a 17-year-old young black man with that pit bull, I can assure you that the next door post would be lighting up. Oh, oh no. I would have said me try that and I would have been concerned. I'm here with you all. <laughs> um, offline, I have a really good joke about that. But if I say it here, I will get so much hate <laughs> yeah. mail. Uh, but we can do that when we're not recording. Or you can just feed it to me and I'll say it. They have my email. Ah, I don't, know, don't want to put any of that in writing. <laughs> That's fine. You know, let me, I know we need to move on to what happened at the Capitol, but to speak to the council member's point, you know, here's the real problem. Um, DPS has total contempt for Austin. That's a really, that's a really broad brush, but what happened at the Capitol, and this is a good segue, is an amazing example of it. Um, they do not share your values, council member, and broadly don't share the values of the city, uh, which is why in one week, of their targeted enforcement program. Uh, they, they issued more marijuana uh, citations uh, than all law enforcement agencies in Travis County combined in 2022. It's why they, uh, over a quarter of the arrests they're making in misdemeanor instances are for marijuana. Uh, it is why well over nine out of 10 individuals they're arresting are people of color. And it's also why a majority just period, full stop, a majority of the arrests that are being made pursuant to this targeted enforcement program are rejected by judges and by prosecutors. And the truth of the matter is the, the leadership of APD was not honest with the council member or with council when they said that DPS's practices would be consistent with local prosecutorial practices. That is just fundamentally not true. And either there will be accountability here or there won't be. Uh, but my suspicion is it is only a matter of time until something similar to what we saw at the Capitol on Tuesday uh, happens to a young black man in Austin or a young Hispanic man in Austin. And there is a serious injury or there is a death. And there will be so many questions to answer. And there will be so much anger in the community about how this came to be. And we have invited Mayor Watson to join us to talk about all of this, but as of recording time today, we have not heard from his office. And I just want to put that out there that that invitation is open and we would love to hear the mayor's side of things. Here at the Halfway Point, a quick note of thanks for listening to the Progress Texas Happy Hour podcast. We're proud to say you've helped us build our podcast into one of the top 10% of the most widely heard podcasts in the world. Kind of mind-blowing, but true, and one of the top progressive political podcasts here in Texas. We couldn't have done all of this without you listening and sharing episodes, so thank you for that. We believe that information is power. Our podcast features insider analysis with a lighthearted take on major issues, events, and players in Texas politics. We've interviewed elected officials, foreign policy experts, activists, and candidates in a panel format that brings gender and ethnic diversity and always seeks to give listeners a reason to keep coming back for more. After we wrap today, please help us keep our podcast ad-free and accessible to all listeners with a donation at ProgressTexas.org. Find the link in the show notes. Let's shift into the recent developments. Rick, you just mentioned Texas DPS officers were central to a severe crackdown on Texans at the state capitol on Tuesday, May 2nd, who were present to voice opposition to Senate Bill 14, which would outlaw a wide variety of gender care treatments in Texas. And 
Two people, including well-known trans rights activists, Audrey Perez of the Texas Freedom Network, whom we've had on the podcast before, were arrested. Uh, Rick, would you say that these arrests were made in a manner consistent with Texas law? No, uh, and as evidence of that, I'll, I'll submit two points. First, the charges against Audrey, the felony charge was rejected by a magistrate. Judge found insufficient probable cause. In other words, the trooper didn't uh, make a good arrest. It was a bad arrest, shouldn't have been made. Uh, the misdemeanor charges were summarily rejected. Um, and so that just off the top is indication that that arrest shouldn't have been made and, and wasn't proper. Uh, I represent the only other individual that was actually detained uh, and issued a criminal charge out of that matter, uh, or out of that, the events of May 2nd. Um, I mean, it was stupid. I'll, I'll just put it that way. Um, you know, what, what my client is alleged to have done is, is basically while DPS was roughing him up, he was holding a hat, and the allegation from DPS is that the brim of the hat, which was held in his hand, uh, as he was being manhandled to the ground, made contact with the forearm of a trooper, and that it did not cause pain, but the trooper was offended. And so oh charged him with assault by contact, which I kind of love because I know largely how these DPS troopers think, especially the ones at the Capitol. I work with these guys all the time. Some of them are my friends. Uh, and, and look, when the speaker issued the order and said, go, go clear the gallery, that's a lawful order. Speaker has that right. Uh, it was stupid. It was dumb. If your politics require the silencing of dissent, it's a strong indication that you're probably not on the, the side of the angels. Just right one, on. man, one man's opinion there. Uh, but that wasn't the problem. The problem was how specific individual troopers chose to execute that order. And we're talking about really minute decisions regarding the use of force. And it speaks to what's happening in the broader Austin community. APD, uh, for, for whatever sins it may have, and look, I'm, uh, to borrow the language of the kids, like I'm an APD stan. Uh, I think they're, they, they're the best law enforcement agency I work with. I would double uh, APD patrols uh, and CID, the, the Criminal Investigations Division, if I could just wave a wand. Probably best law enforcement agency I deal with in the state of Texas. That being said, right, room for improvement. Um, look, DPS has a really different approach to the use of force uh, as evidenced by what everyone could see with their own eyes because it was video recorded. And uh, folks, you know, if there were individual demonstrators who violated rules of decorum, they should have been addressed individually, right? Not painted with some broad brush. Uh, but to be real blunt, a handful of these troopers, I think, saw an opportunity to rough up some people who were very different from them, okay? Uh, and I, I celebrate those differences, even if I, you know, irrespective of my opinion of that legislation. Um, and so what I love is these troopers, uh, a handful, are like, all right, let's go get them, you know, and they're kind of roughing them up. And then it's like, oh, oh, my, oh, my Lord, the, his hat hit my arm. Oh, you know, oh, let's detain him. And, oh. um, like, give me a break. Um, and, and it's just completely unnecessary. It's inconsistent uh, with the, the rule of law. It's inconsistent with the appropriate use of force. But the situation could have been de-escalated. And by the way, as someone that used to be a political hack, I'll say one of the dumbest political moves I've seen, if you want to amplify and give voice to your opposition, attempt to silence them. And that's exactly what the speaker uh, did with how the speaker approached uh, the demonstration on Tuesday. The way to kill something, 
you know, other than put it on page two of Google results, uh, is to ignore it. Anyway, it's all bad, it's all stupid. DPS never should have done it, but it's those same values that we saw uh, in action at the Capitol on Tuesday on the part of DPS that black and Hispanic Austinites are experiencing daily right now because of this DPS targeted enforcement program that's never been approved by council and never been subjected to a vote of any type. Right. And, and I want to bring up just because we've had, I had the pleasure of meeting uh, Audrey as well. And so when I saw that they were literally pinned to the ground by four people, I, I was like, wait, I know that person. That person's in my circle. That person, you know, I've had the pleasure of talking to, talking shop, whatever, been on the podcast, like we mentioned. It made me so mad in a way that, like, I mean, obviously it makes me mad because anybody getting roughed up by the police, of course, or, or law enforcement. But I'm 6'4". If I went and did that, whatever, the same exact thing, protesting like they were, they wouldn't have done that to me. They wouldn't have tried to be, I'm so big, I'm so strong, and try to toss me around. No, they picked somebody who's not the biggest of stature and chose to bully them and uh, obviously a prominent voice in the community as well. So it was particularly malicious in my eyes. And it really, uh, I, we can cuss on this podcast. It really pissed me off. It really pissed me off that it happened to somebody who is so nice. It's always been nice to me, always been nice to our organization. Uh, and, and just a great worker in their field, you know, a great advocate. Like you said, this is just going to light a thousand fires underneath people. Cause I know it's, it makes me not relent. You know, if I get tired or if there's too many losses, these we're people here and it gets hard some days. If, if I felt like it was a hard day, any of those days from here on out, um, I know that we have a lot more work to do. And and I want to pass it to you, council member. What was your first reaction when you saw all of this? And uh, have you heard from your constituents about this in the time in between? You know, have, have people been give you calls? Have they reaching out saying, hey, what's this all about? What, what are we going to do about this? So, I just want to add that I'm friends with Audrey. Uh, I've also been friends with with folks like Ash Hall, who's who's another prominent uh, activist in the LGBTQIA plus community uh, here in Austin. Uh, you know, I think when I first saw it, it, it was very sickening, um, truthfully, to, to see the video. Um, I remember texting friends who work at the Capitol to see how, how Audrey was doing, and, you know, if I could be of any sort of help. Um, but but seeing the, I guess, the rough housing uh, the, the DPS did, you know, my, my first initial thought was, well, you know, true to form, uh, and, and that how, if they would do something so very publicly at the Capitol, uh, with, with all these people around and cameras, you know, what might happen in Austin with DPS, right. And in, in a lot of these neighborhoods and a lot of these situations, right. I mean, if, like I said, if you could do something so, so publicly and almost with no remorse, I mean, you're right. You're six, you said you're six, four and uh, you know, as big as big as or as big or not as big as as you are, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm six foot and and well, I'm six two, and I don't think it's a competition. <laughs> and uh, I'll shut up. Yeah. But, but I'm so like in the mind of Caddyshack, where Ty Webb and Judge Smales are talking after a round of golf, and the judge says, "What'd you shoot today?" And Ty says, "Oh, I don't keep score." And Judge says, "Well, how do you measure yourself with other golfers?" And Ty Webb says, "By height." Uh, and yes. so on that score, Sam, you've, you've got us all beat. I'll be quiet. Well, now. no, it's not yeah. even a score thing. But my thing is big I mean, bad bullies it, picking yeah. on people, you know. And, and it's, 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 it was, I mean, just the way it was all done. And I think they had dropped their glasses on the ground. And yeah, yeah, just, I mean, it was, it was just disgusting. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful for all the groups that, and individuals that came together and, and, and kind of uplifted and, and supported them and, and, and helped them get out. Well, and they're uh, almost certainly going to win anyway. 
You know, that's the astounding part. Um, you know, whether you, you support or oppose that bill, um, and, and I come from a, a long, you know, two-decade line of activism and LGBTQ affairs and, you know, started out, you know, joined the celebration when Lawrence came down back in 03. Um, you know, through the No Nonsense in November campaign, Kathleen, that, that you and I worked on back in 2005. And, you know, all the way through, I don't know, five or six years on the board of the Kyan Clinic, uh, working with LGBTQIA folks. Uh, and I don't happen to be gay myself, but for, you know, six years I lived with a very prominent uh, gay man in, in Austin politics who also happened to be undocumented, uh, which is why these issues are sort of near and dear to my heart. They're going to win. They're going to shove this down the throats of people who are opposed to it. And, and the violence was unnecessary and the use of force was unnecessary. And, and you know, quite frankly, you know, win with some grace for criminy's sakes. What my hope is, and I think we saw this, you know, we saw this in, in Tennessee with, with the with the three folks who were going to be removed and two of them are ultimately removed and reinstated. Uh, we've seen this in, in, in Montana uh, with a state rep who's a, trans, a member of the trans community. Uh, who, who had their voice silenced, and now we, we've seen this in, in Texas. You know, everyone who was attacked, everyone who had their voice silenced, you know, they are the, the future of this country, of their respective state. Uh, and, and, and my hope is that, and, and I think Rick kind of mentioned it, the, the stupidest thing to do politically, and I say this as also a, a former political guy before before getting into office, uh, is to amplify someone's voice and to give them such a big platform. And, and that's what I really hope you know, as, as painful of, of, as it was to see, uh, I really hope a lot of good comes to this and that, uh, you know, members of the trans community are, are uplifted, you know, throughout the state uh, and, and are so empowered uh, to continue to fight uh, and to have allies on, on their side. Um, so I, I, I really hope this kind of blows, blows up in everyone's face um, because, um, you know, what happened was, was horrific and, and, and I like to think there's always, uh, you know, there's always karma at the end of the day. Um, one final question, at least in regards to the DPS. Zoe, this is going to be to you as well. Where, where's the end of this? You know, what is what is the way out of this? Obviously, it's not sustainable. People aren't happy about it. Um, what's the next move? And, and, you know, we say that it could be endless. There's going to be a time limit, you know, when the spots are filled. But are you working towards a goal that makes this happen sooner? So that these types of things, you know, are mitigated, not only just violence, traffic stops, things of that sort, but that we can go back to a sense of normal, at least before all of this changes have occurred in the last few weeks. Once again, I can only speak for myself. Um, you know, truthfully, I am not a fan of this partnership. Uh, I would like this partnership to end as gracefully as possible. That being said, I think the next steps... Uh, from from what I gather, in, in terms of um, uh, you know being on the dais and, and attending certain meetings, is let's see how this election goes tomorrow. Which, like I said, I, I encourage folks who haven't voted, who might be listening to this before uh, you know before seven p.m. tomorrow, to make sure they go out and, and have their voice heard. Uh, I think we've only had seven percent of voters go out and vote so far, and it's a it's a it's a really important election. Um, and civilian oversight of our, of our police department is a vital part, in my opinion, uh, of transparency and accountability. So my hope is, is people are go out and, and they vote, they have their voice heard. Uh, we are able to go back to the negotiating table with, with, uh, with the APA. Uh, and then during that time, continue to have conversations, continue to get information 
continue to have dialogue with with APD and DPS in terms of their of their partnership. Let me make two points, if it if it's okay, um, in terms of a path forward. Um, number one, there there is a just classic labor union organizing issue at play here. When Ford shuts down the plant and there's a picket line because there's a strike, what do you call the folks who cross the picket line? Right, scabs. Scabs. And that is a way to keep down wages. Um, and whether you can prove it or not, there is definitely an element of that in bringing in DPS. It dramatically weakens the bargaining posture of the Austin Police Association. And you can go look and see what supporters of this program are saying on Twitter, uh, where they say, uh, well, golly, DPS, we get 100 troopers for free, and they don't have to follow all those silly rules uh, that APD does, or you know what a lot of us would call reasonable protections uh, for civil rights and civil liberties. If you are the city, and it's not the council member or a council who negotiates this, um, you've got a really nice weapon to bludgeon APD with right now. Uh, because you have DPS in Austin. And so what's a real path forward? The city has to make actual progress on filling the uh, vacant positions at APD. Part of that is money. Part of that is executing a long-term contract. Part of that is also culture. And here's where I may differ from you know, some of my, my friends in, in progressive politics. The you know, ACAB... Uh, you know, defund, uh, cops are bad. That stuff doesn't work. I mean, not just as a matter of straight politics, but as a matter of an approach to criminal law, um, the criminal legal system, the enforcement of laws. Law enforcement necessarily has to be a partner. And if individuals, especially if leaders, treat law enforcement like the enemy, uh, then it creates this weird situation where in some ways law enforcement then turns around and treats us like the enemy. Uh, that doesn't mean rolling over. That doesn't mean abandoning accountability. That doesn't mean choosing to uh, deny high standards and expectations for law enforcement. But a big part of why the vacancy rate's so high at APD, and I hear this all the time. My, look, my investigator at my law firm was the assistant chief of police of APD. You know, I love the guy. He's the best cop I've ever worked with. I have a lot of cop friends. You know, and frankly, their attitude is that the city shits on them, okay? And, and there's some you know, reasonable basis for that. And we have to have a culture. It doesn't mean pro-law enforcement, but it means not anti-law enforcement and viewing it as a genuine partnership for safety. You know, that, that's point one. And, and that's a much broader issue that takes an all-hands-on-deck. Point number two Accountability means questions getting answered. And the truth of the matter is that the Department of Public Safety and the leadership of the Austin Police Department and certain leaders at the city of Austin are keeping the council member and council in general in the dark, intentionally. And you can see that from what Chief Chacon said last week, where Chief Chacon said, well, APD's requested some data from the county attorney and from the justice of the peace and the district attorney. Uh, and he'll get that. Um, that's all data DPS has right now. Uh, and by the way, that's also data to a certain extent that APD has. And they do not want counsel to have it. And, and what's astounding, uh, 
the, the first time that Chief Chacon showed up to a work session on this issue, he was directly asked, uh, where's the data broken down by geography and neighborhood? And then he came back again on May 2nd and it wasn't there. APD does not want council to see what is actually happening. You will note that in that four-page memo uh, addressed to mayor and council, it had some information about stops, traffic stops, did not have a breakdown of arrests, right? Well, I know the guy at the county attorney's office who put together the data that blew all this up, uh, and much to county attorney Delia Garza's credit that she had the courage uh, to release. Uh, yeah, that took about eight hours for one guy to do. Um, th this is not hard stuff. This is, for the most part, data that DPS and APD are required to keep by law. And they have it right now. And they are not telling council. And I can assure you that there are people in the leadership of the city of Austin who are well aware and who do not want the public to know what people are actually being arrested for, because you're going to find out it's almost all just low-level drug crap. Uh, and don't want people to know the racial composition of those arrests because it's going to be even more disgusting than the data that was released from the county attorney. And so until there's real accountability and honesty from the quote-unquote partners in this program, there is no path forward. Well, before we close today, I appreciate both of you talking to us today at length um, about this situation, but I do want to get you to both weigh in on, on one more, and that's the um, Daniel Perry situation. Perry's the convicted murderer who Greg Abbott has called on the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles for his recommendation for his pardon. And of course, that was set in motion by uh, Tucker Carlson, who has since been fired by Fox News and who's really sick, bloodthirsty texts have since been made public. He was rooting for the death of a uh, liberal protester. Could you give us your take on the denial of a new trial for Daniel Perry? And is there any um, remaining possibility of a pardon? Uh, let me push back on the word murder. I say this a little, little tongue in cheek. I like to use people first language. It's an individual with a murder conviction. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, y'all laugh, but I represent lots of people charged with murder and you know, there's nuance. Um, look, Judge Brown, I, I was a prosecutor in his court. I've tried a lot of cases in front of Judge Brown. In my book, one of, if not the very finest jurists I've ever appeared in front of. Thoughtful, fair, thorough, hardworking. His decision to deny defense motion for new trial, uh, I'm sure was well-founded. Uh, Mr. Perry will avail himself of all of the opportunities for appeal. Um, it's a weird case because it's not really a factual dispute, right? Like I represent people charged with murder where our defense is some other dude did it, right? Like that, that was not the issue here. It was how you apply the facts in that case to the law of self-defense in Texas. That does create some unique opportunities on appeal. What will the parole board do, right? Who knows? Uh, my suspicion is if they don't do what the governor has suggested, that the governor will go and get some new people on the pardon and parole board. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I bet you if Governor Abbott had a time machine, knowing what he knows now, he would probably go back and maybe do something different after all of that information uh, was released about Daniel Perry's violent and racist comments and posts. Council member, do you have an opinion on that? Obviously, I'm sure you do. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'll make it as 
as human of an opinion as possible. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I was disgusted to hear that there's even a possibility of, of him being pardoned. And I think anyone who would consider pardoning someone, not only after a, a murder conviction, but after seeing all that, you know, I, 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 would, I question their, 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 their decency. Austin City Councilmember Zoe Kadri, where can listeners find you online? Oh, where can they find me online? That's a great question. Well, I will give them two places to find me online. They could go on, on, these, on the city's website. Um, they can contact our office, uh, whether me directly or, or, any, or any, any of our staffers, depending on, on the policy issue. Uh, they can find us on social media. Uh, if they go on, if they want to look at our official side of stuff, uh, it's at cmgadryd9 on Twitter. Uh, and if they want to go on my personal Twitter account, which I could be a little bit more unfiltered, uh, that is at Zoe for Austin. Um, and we're also on Instagram and Facebook. But yeah, everything that is city related is normally council member uh, Gothery D9. And anything that is personal related is at Zoe for Austin. Austin criminal defense attorney Rick Hofer. I see um, a lot of news on Twitter from you before I see it from... Texas journalists, where can people follow you online? If uh, you, a loved one, has some type of criminal matter, always glad to help. Uh, KoferConnolly.com, which you probably can't spell, but you can spell TrialLawyersATX.com. Check us out. And if you want some background and maybe insider takes on what's happening in criminal law and politics in Texas, at Rick Kofer on Twitter. Kathleen, great to see you, and, and Mr. Gonzalez, I hadn't met you before, but this has really been a pleasure, and I'll share that joke once the uh, recording stops. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you both for your time today, and we'll have you both back soon, I hope. Thank you great. so much. Yeah, thank you all. Thanks, folks. Thanks to Digital Director Sam Gonzalez, and listeners, thank you. Head on over to progresstexas.org and subscribe to our email list. Keep us accessible with a donation of any amount, and don't forget to follow us on socials. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and please leave us a review. Catch y'all next week. The Progress Texas Happy Hour is a production of Progress Texas, a rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. Find us online at progresstexas.org and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is produced by me, Chris Mosier, and our featured music is by Walker Lukens. Please be sure and subscribe to the Progress Texas Happy Hour on the podcast platform of your choice. Take a moment to leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show and be sure and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening and for all you do to press progress forward here in the Lone Star State. We'll see you again next week.